today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. Hope in Scripture is not vain. It's not fleeting. It's not hoping against the odds that it's going to happen. When Peter says you've been born again to a living hope, it's closer to saying that this is a guarantee, that this is an unbreakable promise. This is a fixed event in the future that we are utterly sure will happen. This hope is rock solid. You have been born again to a living guarantee, a living promise. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. When you hear the word hope, what comes to mind? Biblical hope isn't a Jiminy Cricket wish upon a star type of hope. Biblical hope is a guarantee that what God says will come to pass, will indeed come to pass. Today, Pastor Ricky will be expounding on the promises of God and how we can be assured of our salvation because our hope is placed in Jesus Christ. There are many things in this life that you can put your hope in, but none of them besides the Lord will assuredly remain faithful until the end. Well, let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message entitled, Hope Beyond the World. Peter is addressing a culture where there's no outright persecution of physical violence, uh, kind of people being martyred. That's not the situation Peter's writing to. Instead, he's writing to a situation where in their culture, in the first century, there's a growing discomfort with being Christians in that culture. There's growing social pressure at the office, um, kind of wherever they're working, through their families, through the cultural avenues. There's a growing pressure, and it's becoming less and less comfortable to follow Jesus. And, and we see much of the same thing happening in our culture today. We've gone from, from being kind of a predominantly um, Judeo-Christian culture to becoming a more and more secular, more and more post-Christian in many ways culture. And so we want to be equipped by this letter for how to relate to the world around us. How are we supposed to relate to this world? Do we fight it? Do we withdraw from it? Well, this, the series title for this letter is this, Against the World for the World. Peter sets up a countercultural community that in many ways stands in opposition to what's going on in the world, but it does so out of love for the world in order that they may hold forth faithfully the gospel of Jesus to the world around them. And with that, let's dive right into 1 Peter. We're going to begin reading in verse 3. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the 
tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us this kind of countercultural community, that we would stand firm, but God, stand in love. And I pray especially, Lord, for those who, as we even read the text of Scripture, the section on suffering stood out to them because of personal circumstances, either physical or, or emotional or relational. They feel as though they are in a trial today, Jesus, and I pray you would encourage them through your word. It's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, Peter, the writer of this letter, is the apostle Peter, the, the loud, the brash, the kind of first in, last out disciple of Jesus who later denied Jesus only to be reinstated by Jesus and given a commission to care for the church. And so we find him years and years later, this is the mid-60s A.D., um, writing to a, a section of churches that he likely, likely had either visited or planted. So Peter is in Rome writing to this section of churches in Asia Minor, and he hears some things about them. He hears that because they've come to Christ, there's been social pressure. There, there are people that stop hanging out with them. There's business that has dropped a little bit since they've come to Christ. They've become, he says in verse 1, exiles in their own homeland. They were born there, they grew up there, but they find themselves, because of their faith in Christ, feeling left out on the fringe from their own people. There are people slandering them, people not buying stuff in their shops, maybe government officials unfairly enforcing laws on them. And Nero, the Nero, is on the throne in Rome. And there are rumblings of a greater persecution coming. So Peter, to start his letter to this church, after his introduction, says this as the very first thing he wants his people to hear. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This entire section that I read is in essence a doxology. It is him praising God for what God has done right up front. Now, why? These people are in trial. They're going to be in more trial. This is going to not get easier. It's going to get harder. And rather than Peter's first kind of words to them being, hang in there, or let me, ha- let me help you learn how to go through trial, or here's, here's kind of what to do when you find yourself in suffering, he says, blessed be God. Why? Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a person who, when poked by the circumstances of life, what comes out of you is blessed be God. 
What comes out of you is praise. What comes out of you is worship. When life comes up against you and begins to poke you a little bit, does praise come out? Does praise mark you? Does it especially mark you when you are in trial? Friends, Peter, according to church tradition, will die in Rome. He will be martyred for his faith likely three or or less years after he writes this letter. And Peter's response, hearing about the suffering or persecution of another area, with Nero on the throne, where there's rumblings of persecution in Rome, where he is living, his response is, blessed be God. Here's the big idea of, of kind of the message today, of this passage, I believe, to this. Even in trial, we are a people of praise because we are a people of hope. Even in trial, if you find yourself in trial today, I want you to hear this. We are, we should be a people of praise because we are a people of hope. See, what Peter does is he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then says why. He he gives the headline of why he wants to praise God, and that's this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then everything that he says after that follows from that phrase, born again to a living hope. Today, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to rehearse our reasons for hope. We're going to look at our hope, and rather than trying to work up becoming a people of praise, Peter doesn't do that. He doesn't say, blessed be God, and if you're not saying amen, you've got a problem, and I'm going to correct you. No, he says, blessed be God, and let me give you 11 verses of reasons to do this all centered on their hope. And so here's some things we learn about that hope from this passage. First, our hope is as alive as Jesus. Peter says he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the dead. Now, when Peter speaks about hope, it is not the way that we as American, 21st century Americans speak about Hope. We say things like this, I hope my boss gives me a good performance review this year, right? Or I hope the Cowboys do not crumble and explode and self-destruct the beginning of December like they always do except for last year, right? I hope that we can throw off years and years and years of horrible history and finally be good. Spoiler alert, probably not going to be good. So I love the Cowboys. I'm going to root for the Cowboys. But that is a, not the kind of hope we're talking about, okay? Hope in Scripture is not vain. It's not fleeting. It's not hoping against the odds that it's going to happen. When Peter says you've been born again to a living hope, It's closer to saying that this is a guarantee, that this is an unbreakable promise. This is a fixed event in the future that we are utterly sure will happen. This hope is rock solid. You have been born again to a living guarantee, a living promise. Think about it this way. Say say you have two friends. One, and you're coming in, you're flying in to El Paso, if you're kind of visiting someone else, and you talk to your unreliable friend. And the unreliable friend says, oh, don't worry, I'll pick you up from the airport. Anybody? Has ever happened to anybody, right? He said, don't worry about it. Okay, it's, it's Friday at this time. Yeah, yeah, don't worry, got it, okay? 
But because you know them, you call another friend, a reliable friend, and you say, listen, so-and-so just said they could give me a ride from the airport home. If something happens, can you give me a ride? And if they say yes, then you know they'll be there, right? The, the strength of your hope depends on the person that hope or the thing that that hope is connected to, okay? If, it, if your hope is connected to an unreliable person, it's going to be an unreliable hope, right? If your hope is connected to a reliable, sure-footed person, then your hope is going to be reliable. So who does Peter or what does Peter tie this hope to? He says this, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In other words, he says, this is a hope that is tied to you, that comes to you because Jesus rose from the dead. It's tied to Jesus. And, and, and there's some kind of wordplay going on where he says, you've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, your hope is alive because you serve an alive Savior. So let me ask you this. Where do you look for hope in your life? When things get hard, what are the things that you lean on, that you put your hope in, that you think this thing is going to see me through this? Is it your education? Is it, your, is it a particular relationship? Is it a belief in some ideal that you have? Friends, the reality is, in our world, every hope can fail. People fail. Things fail. Things that seem utterly sure and steadfast will fail. But Peter says this hope is unique, that it is a living hope, meaning it is not a hope that is dead, but alive and active, and that this hope comes to us through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He says this, when we become Christians, we place our faith completely in Jesus for salvation and for life, and then something happens. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are, the scriptures use this terminology, we are united with Christ. Or Paul often says, we are in him. We are united. We become united to Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? That means if we're united to Jesus Christ, we go into the tomb with Jesus Christ. We're on the cross with Jesus Christ where our sins are paid for. We go into the tomb, get rid of our old way of life, and we're pulled out of the tomb in Jesus Christ to a new life. That's what we symbolize when we do baptisms. We are connected to Christ, and therefore, our hope is not a dead hope, but it is a living hope. It is a hope that is as alive as Jesus Christ. To believe in Christ is to believe the promise that Jesus is alive and active and making all things new and will one day return and split the sky and claim his people. Peter says this hope is tied to Christ himself, the one who conquered death, the one that could not be stopped even by death itself. So do you think this hope is secure? Do you think it's sure? Peter says, listen, every hope is just a hope, but the hope you have is a living hope tied to a living Savior. We have been born again to a hope that is as alive as Jesus, and that's why Peter writing in Nero's shadow, can start with praise. There's always a reason to praise God when you live with a living hope. Second, this is a hope that can't be taken away. 
Uh, It just gets better. Verse four says this, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, we don't think about inheritance a lot in our modern culture, right? I mean, in our modern culture, inheritance is kind of a sporadic random thing where maybe you had an aunt that was unexpectedly wealthy that she left everyone money, right? I mean, that's or maybe a, a parent passes away, but a lot of times, even a lot of inheritance expenses go to end-of-life care. So inheritance is not, a, is not a big cultural thing that we're really depending on in America anymore. But in the ancient world, friends, inheritance was everything. It was everything. Um, if you were the first son, you got the kind of the majority of the inheritance, and that meant that you had a way to make money, that you had a way to be stable, the way, a way to support your family, a way to have standing in the community. Now, if you're the second son, you got a lot less, but maybe you're thinking, okay, I can, I can use this. I can turn this into something. If you were like the fifth son, you got this. Thumbs up. I love you, buddy. <laughs> and you're thinking, I don't have a way to make money. I don't have any property. I'm going to have to, I mean, and there weren't a lot of options. It's not like you could just go to college in the ancient world, right? And come out as an engineer and get a job. I mean, you took very limited career options. It was like, join the army, probably die, or be bored, or maybe get on a ship or something. I mean, like, they're just not good options, right? Inheritance was everything. Inheritance was your livelihood. It was your future. As a kid, I loved the movie Ben-Hur. Do you have any Ben-Hur fans here? Come on, man. Yes, I love Ben-Hur, right? So in Ben-Hur, if you've, if you've seen the movie, even if you haven't, um, he goes from kind of being uh, like a... An, a Jewish noble person to being a slave. And the way he, he goes from being a slave though to being the son of a powerful Roman person. And the way he goes from being a slave on a ship rowing, that scene with, I feel like there's just 15 minutes or 20 minutes of rowing in that movie, right? Like it's a great movie, but we get the fact that they're rowing, all right? Like they're rowing. So he, he escapes when they get attacked. He saves the life of this person. The person adopts him. And all of a sudden, he is the inheritor to this big estate. He becomes a noble person. He has standing. He has money. He has power. Everything. Slave to son of a noble person like that. Here's the thing about our inheritance, though. We didn't do anything to inherit anything. In fact, if Ben-Hur were rewritten to be our story, it would be like this. We escape and try to kill our boss, right? We escape and try to kill him just the way we rebelled against God and said no, right? Except that the boss sends his son to save us because we get into trouble. So then the boss saves us and then we're on a raft with him and he says, I know you tried to kill me, but here's the thing. I'm going to give you an inheritance. And you'd go, I just tried to kill you, right? I rebelled against you. I, I spat at you. I hated you. And he says, yes. I saved you, and guess what? You have an inheritance. Peter is in awe of the fact that we, the people that only did things to deserve punishment, have received a great deal of riches that we did not deserve. We've received an inheritance. And then he describes the inheritance, like as if that's not a big, as big a deal as it should be for us. This inheritance is im perishable, okay? Meaning that it will never expire. It has no expiration date. It won't go bad. It won't be like, well, does that still apply? No. Imperishable. 
This hope is undefiled. It's never going to be corrupted by a change in God's character. It's never as though God's going to decide, oh, I'm not going to keep that promise. There's no stain that's going to come on this inheritance. This inheritance is unfading, meaning it is as bright today as that day when you receive it, as it was yesterday. It's not as though you're looking kind of at your inheritance and you're seeing the way your parents are living and you're thinking, oh, wow, you guys just went to the Caribbean. That means I'm probably not going to go to the Caribbean, right? If that was my inheritance, then, oh, you're going to Europe now. Oh, okay. You know, your inheritance, you just, you see getting drained. No, no, no. What, what Peter says is this inheritance is unfading. In fact, it's increasing all the time. How is that possible? See, the, the, the thing is that everywhere in this world that you could keep an inheritance as a safe place can be lost in an instant. A country that you think can't fall, history will tell you, it can fall, right? A company with you have stock in that seems a juggernaut, it's gonna keep trucking for another 200 years, it can fall like that. Your life savings like that. The price of gold, I hate to tell you, that can go down too, right? You can lose everything in gold, you can. You can lose everything in anything that you put your hope in. Except, Peter says, there's a difference. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. In other words, it means that your inheritance is being kept in a place that is untouchable by the things of this world, all right? No, no um, kind of economic collapse is going to affect your inheritance. No country's collapse is going to affect your inheritance. No family collapse is going to affect your inheritance. No health collapse is going to affect your inheritance. Why? Because it is kept in heaven for you. It is as bright today as it was when Jesus purchased it, as it will be when you receive it. It is unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for you, meaning that it can never be taken away. But then you might think, well, what if I fail along the way, right? There's a lot of stuff that could happen between now and the inheritance. What if I mess up my own inheritance? So Peter adds this. It's unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who, he says, by God's power are being guarded. So not only is your inheritance guarded from the things of this world, from economic and country collapses, it's guarded from you. <laughs> Who by God's power are, it's almost as though he's using, using a military term where there's like a garrison around you. That you're on your way to heaven and you go, hey, look over there. And God's like, nope, keep going. You have an inheritance, right? You're being guarded by God's power so that you receive it. Look, that's insane. We get an inheritance that we don't deserve, that can't be corrupted, that's kept over there, that's protected even from us. And we did nothing to deserve it. All we did was put our faith in Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins, who raised us to new life. That's crazy. But that's the gospel, guys. Our hope cannot be taken away. So what are the things that you fear most could be taken away from you? Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The book of 1 
First Peter is one of those hard-hitting books in the Bible intended to shake us to the core. In this series, Pastor Ricky will be sharing messages entitled The Counter-Cultural Christian Community and The Time is Short and many more. Each one of these messages will bring insight into specific areas in the Christian life. You've been listening to Better News Radio, the radio ministry of Pastor Ricky Alcanta of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. CD copies of today's study are available when you email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. That's radio at betternewsradio.com. Today's message, as originally presented at Cross of Grace Church, can be downloaded from our website at www.betternewsradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place an order, you can always call us at 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, the number to call is 915-562-7100. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Community groups of believers also meet throughout the week in many locations around the city for Bible study, fellowship, and prayer. For more information, including driving directions, visit betternewsradio.com. We hope to see you soon. Music heard here on Better News Radio is courtesy of Sovereign Grace Music. Pastor Ricky will continue sharing messages from his series in the book of 1 Peter next time on Better News Radio. Open.